This podcast is made possible through donations from listeners like you and our partners at Tallman Equipment, where they pride themselves on equipping their customers with the tools they need to get the job done right. They are dedicated to set the standard for quality, convenience, and reliability. At Tallman, your opinion is important to them. Rate and review any product or tool you've used on their new website at tallmanequipment.com. Line 11 Clothing Company. Making apparel for our first responders with a positive message to patriots that you can be proud of. A proceed of the cost goes to helping our foundation ignite the fire for father engagement. Give them a follow at Line11Clothing on Instagram. And last but not least, Monzingo Knives. Each knife is created with craftsmanship that only a tradesman could provide. Find them on Instagram at Monzingo Knives and get your American-made Monzingo knife today. Welcome to the Show Up Dad podcast. This podcast has been created for hardworking fathers. At the Show Up Dad, we've recognized that fathers providing for their children is certainly important. But when men truly understand their unique role and gain the knowledge and skills to be great fathers, they can transform and impact future generations. I'd like to welcome Nick Politis. Nick is a groundman for Local 47 and has been married for 10 years and has one son. In 2021, he was diagnosed with cancer, which seemed to be the beginning of a string of challenges. Welcome to the show, brother. Hey, what's going on, man? Thank you for having me. Absolutely, Nick. You know, um, one of the reasons why I brought you on, Nick, is because as we talked before, 2020 and 2021 really kicked a lot of people's butts. I mean, it. It was, it was rough, rough on me, rough on you, rough on a lot of people, you know what I mean? But that didn't keep us down. And that's the reason why I wanted to bring you on here to bring encouragement to a lot of folks, you know what I mean? Going into this new year. Yeah. I can say. Yeah, absolutely, bro. Um, so with that being said, Nick, can you please tell us as we open up all the time about your childhood as you remember it, if you don't mind me asking. No, man, not at all. Um, Gosh, where can I start, man? I mean, uh, I'm first generation here in this country, man. My my parents, they immigrated in from Greece. So I, they brought a lot of the old traditions with them, man. You know, uh, my dad worked a lot. Uh, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. And my dad was just a, you know, he was a, he was a go-getter, man. He My family's always owned restaurants uh, since before I was born. And... He was uh he was definitely a go-getter. He worked hard and you know, when he come home, he always, you know, uh, how do I say he uh you know he always found time for us. He always came to baseball games, football games, whatever sports we played. Um it was a pretty normal childhood, man, with the exception of uh we didn't have your, I guess you can say like all American family type traditions. Like we we never went camping, we didn't do things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, I grew up, you know, not really necessarily needing anything as a kid, uh, because of my dad and, you know, we just, we we're raised, I was raised in the restaurants and finally found my way out. But I mean, I always say it. Yeah. I mean, pretty normal childhood, man. It wasn't anything out of the ordinary or, mm-hmm. you know, I, uh, growing up, mom was actually really sick when we were younger. 
So that that was something I guess you can say that wasn't normal. Um, she had what was called a Mediterranean fever, and you know, from what we knew, there wasn't necessarily a cure for that, and it just always made her sick. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, we grew up pretty fast being young. Um, I mean, heck, man, I was I was cooking full blown meals at the age of seven or eight. You know, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, other than that, man, I mean, we played outside, did our thing, grew up in the Inland Empire. Man, can you elaborate on that Mediterranean fever? That's the first time I've ever heard of that, man. So, uh, dude, all of a sudden, man, she would just, you know, she'd be fine one day. I mean, mm-hmm. out, out with us, cooking, doing all kinds of stuff. And then, um, you know, all of a sudden, she was just down and out, shivering, not feeling good. Um, it, it, was, it was weird, man. Like, it you know, but to us, it was kind of like, well, mm-hmm. like, so, uh, I mean, some things that weren't normal about our child is, I mean, we did have, you know, uh, growing up, we did have nannies and things like that, mm-hmm. um, to help out my mom because she was so sick. Wow. I mean, that's, that's so crazy just to see that. Um, and then you being young, being able to recognize that, um, that, just kind of brings to question what my kids are going to say, you know, cause we have a similar, you know, I'm sure you've heard our story and our podcast listeners have heard our story too, with my wife being diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, which was, you know, um, Lyme disease. Yeah. And, uh, same thing. I mean, just, just crazy out of the blue symptoms to, you know, just feeling pain and stiffness in her joints to, to erratic behavior, to, to basically her heart stopping on Christmas day of 2018. So man, it just, it's crazy to see that you remember it as a child. So I'm wondering, man, what are my kids going to remember about my wife and the pain that she went through, through our journey? You know what I mean? It, it, I'll tell you, man, your kids will. And I mean, just this, I feel kind of goes for, all kids that experience something like that with a parent that's struggling and constantly trying to do their best. Mm-hmm. Uh, they grow admiration for that, man. Like they grow a special kind of love and bond with her because even seeing her down, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure your wife, man, just like my mom, a mother's love is second to none. Yes. You know what I mean, uh, we can, we can try to compete with that as much as we possibly can. But a mother's love is second to none. And I grew such an admiration for my mom where, I mean, anytime my dad asked me to do something, I was like, yeah, I'll get to it. Anytime mm-hmm. my mom asked me to do something, I was like, what do you need? I'm mm-hmm. Like, I'm in everything, I'm there. You know, because I know that, you know, she loved us so much that regardless when she was sick, she was still there for us. 150 Mm percent you know i'm sure your kids will recognize that you know in your in your wife Mm -hmm. out man she was you know she was still mom Mm -hmm. how did your like what do you remember you know i i know you 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 remember that about your mom and and you picked up on that because kids are very resilient and they pay attention right um how did your dad deal with it like was he supportive of your mom or was it one of those things where 
you, he felt the stress of it, you know, the weight of it, carrying, carrying on the family and, and having to have this weight on his shoulders where he's providing. And then now all of a sudden his life partner is really sick. You know what I mean? And like, did you see any stress that he was dealing with or did you pick up on as a child? You know, there was this memory, man, that I have. Mm -hmm. I get emotional about it because I mean, it, it actually happened. Mm -hmm. Now, um, now that she's gone, but I remember, um, you know, like I said, we grew up in restaurants, so um, we helped out the family businesses even as kids. And my dad didn't have anybody to watch us that weekend, so he took us to the restaurant. I was inside helping him wash dishes, cook. I was about eight or nine years old. Mm -hmm. I was taking um, every day, every single day after whether it was Monday through Sunday. It didn't matter if my mom was in the hospital, my dad was there after work. Um, and I remember this day where um, we, went to, we went to the hospital, it was the Kaiser in Riverside. And um, I remember we're all sitting in the waiting room. It was actually just me, my little brother, and my little sister. We're sitting in the waiting room and my dad and the doctor walks in and he says, hey, uh, Mr. Politis, can we please speak with you? And he goes, sure. And he, they walk away. And I, I just found that kind of weird. Like, why couldn't he say it in front of, you know, the kids, you know, because if it was positive news, you'd be like, hey, guys, you know, mom's getting better. And I remember kind of like just following around the corner and seeing my dad start breaking down. And I was like, what the, like, what's going on kind of thing? You know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't pry. I didn't go over there. I just saw him crying. And I remember him walking back into the room you know, wiping off his tears and him saying, Hey, let's go get ice cream. Let's go, you know, let we got to go. Let's get going. Mm -hmm. And there was times, man, where, I mean, I, you know, I, I heard him cry, you know, and I, I knew something was wrong. And I guess at the time when I asked him about it years later, he was shocked that I remembered it, but I, it was something that I still remember because it affected me. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's crazy that you remember that. He goes, they told me that if your mom didn't start showing signs of improvement, that within the next 24 hours, that um, the chances of her getting better were not good. Mm. So <clears throat> my dad, just like any other dad, would try to protect us from it. Yeah. Um, but he did have his moments where, I mean, like, like I said, he was trying to hide it from us even then, but mm -hmm. I had to see it. Mm -hmm. um, he tried to stay strong through it, man. And, and he did, he did. He uh, Sleepless nights, him being, you know, restaurant owner mm -hmm. and having to deal with, you know, five kids being at home and then his wife being in the hospital. It, it was tough on him, but he showed resiliency, man. And he, he overcame it. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that you said that because uh, I had a past guest on here. He's a, he's a journeyman lineman, um, David, you know, and uh, he came on here and he was talking about a similar incident where his mom was very sick and they hid it from the children as well. And he said that he vowed not to ever hide the proverbial elephant in the room. He wanted to be as transparent with his kids, 
no matter how hard it was, you know, obviously according to what they could understand and stuff like that, but he wanted to be able to share with his kids, the ups and the downs of life and what they were going through as a family unit, because he said that that was so hard on him when his father would try to hide things, you know, and I could see where a kid could think that, you know, because you grow up thinking one minute, if they're hiding it from, from you. Right. Uh-huh. And if I put myself in a child's shoes like that, and I start thinking about that, I start thinking, okay, well, what's the thing? A kid's going to grow up thinking that, Hey, what's wrong with mom? What's wrong with mom? Does she not like me? Why is she always tired? Why can't she play with me? Why does she seem irritable? And if you don't know as a child, you're going to think that's her, uh, uh, some sort of form of rejection. And that's a big, big, big no-no when you're, you become an adult, you know, because now you have these rejection wounds, which are huge, huge. You know, I'm not going to go into that too much, but they're, they're very big and they, they affect the rest of your life unless you deal with them. But uh, a child can grow up with those rejection wounds thinking that, hey, my mom doesn't like me when in reality she's struggling, just struggling to hold on to, you know what I mean? Hold on to her reality. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see that you were able to share that about what you saw in your family as well. You know? Yeah. I mean, for the most part, man, like we Mm -hmm. knew mom was sick. Mm -hmm. We always, I mean, you know, my dad always tells, Hey, your mom's not feeling good. You know, just kind of, you know, don't, don't bother her so much. She's not feeling good. Mm-hmm. we knew mom was sick they, they didn't hide that fact but i think that day when they told him that news he my dad didn't know how to i guess we say say it to us mm. like i mean uh, even right now i mean i've i've thought about the day that you know i mean god forbid you know mm-hmm. doctor tells me hey man there's nothing else we can do I, i've played the scenario in my head mm-hmm. you know of I'd be telling my son and it's, it's, it's a difficult one, man. And, and I guess you see like my dad was put on the spot right then and there. He, there was no cushion. Mm-hmm. He, he just, when he came to us, he tried to like, you know, show face that everything was still okay. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like you said, man, I mean, that, that could definitely bring up issues. Um, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, they were pretty transparent about mom being sick. I think that a, when they said that, hey, you know, your mom isn't doing good, that's where he, I guess he couldn't come through with telling us, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I can't answer for your father, but I know when I was posed into that situation to where, you know, they, they told me on Christmas Day that my wife's heart had stopped and that they're trying to resuscitate her. I mean, everything passed before my my eyes while I was laying down in bed with my three kids. You know, I'm thinking... Lord, why is this happening to her? How am I going to tell my kids? How am I going to explain this to my kids that their mother passed? How am I going to raise these children if I got to go to work? You know, who's going to look after them? And all these different questions, you know, and I think as fathers, we're problem solvers as men, right? And we want to act or at least perceive that we know what's going on. And we take on all this stress. And I think that's what a lot of us do. We take on all this stress because we don't want them worrying. It's our job to do that, right? We think anyways. 
We don't want our family worrying about the finances or, or worrying that, Hey, we might only have $2 until next payday. You know what I mean? You want to just shelter them from that. Absolutely. And, you know, I've learned now through my own um, pitfalls that that's not a, that's not a good way to deal with things. You know, you, you have your spouse for a reason, you know, you have your children, you know, obviously you don't need to share that with your, your children, you know, the finances or anything like that. But, you know, when you have your spouse, we need to open up to them. They're your partner in life. You know, we need to be able to share with them. Hey man, this is going on. I don't have it all together. This is what we're going to do. How do you think we should tackle this? You know, start asking questions, you know, and start sharing that and, and trying to come up with a plan together. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, for sure. Absolutely. But, Absolutely. Uh, I wanted to ask you, Nick, um, so we talked about your childhood. We talked about your father. We talked about your mother. I wanted to kind of go into this different transition to this topic, you know, this, this overcoming in life. You know, we talked earlier when we first started this about how 2020 and 2021 is a really rough year for a lot of people. I wanted you, if you could, to share your story about what happened to you with your diagnosis, if you don't mind. No, man, not at all. Um, so <clears throat> I would hope to become like Wheeler or Curtis, somebody that just, you know, shows, you know, compassion guys, you know, that, that, that at the end of the day, man, I mean, he, he, he didn't just show brotherhood. He showed faith. He showed that, um, you know, at the end of the day, masculinity plays a big part in our tree. Yeah. Who's truck, who's got this, who's got that. But to me, what impressed me the most was how he showed me that doesn't matter. You know, he's a man of God. He's a man of faith. Mm -hmm. And that right there to me, that's impressive. Mm -hmm. You know, in years where, you know, you have some guys that, you know, are atheists or whatever. Yeah. But you have somebody that at the end of the day didn't know me from, you know, the dude down the street. He, you know, he still shared that he was a believer. Mm -hmm. And hold me closest, you know, say a prayer with me. And that's the camaraderie and that's the brotherhood that I really like, mm -hmm. you know, and feeling that, um, you know, I, I kind of feel like, I, you know, Will is a, he, he's somebody that, that whether I'm with Hotline or with Par or whoever, I'll still, you know, always keep in contact with that guy. Mm -hmm. No, and it's such an impact to see someone like that. Um, when I was in the military, I was, Highly impressionable. You know, I was a godless heathen running around trying to impress the guys that are 24 years old. Here I am, this little 18-year-old punk, you know, too dumb to quit. And, um, you know, I wound up compromising a lot in my own character because I was trying to fit in. I was trying to sneak into the bars. I was trying to do all these things to, to be a part of something. And I got to tell it, you know, the way it is. You know, one of the things that really impressed me were the guys like Wheeler who didn't cuss, who had that composure under fire. Not saying that they're perfect or anything like that, but man, they could get their point across without ever having to say a cuss word. And when they spoke, they spoke with authority. Oh, yeah. And, and that to me is impressive, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely, man. That's what, like, and, like I said, my, my admiration for him was, and this, this goes for anybody, man. I mean, anybody that can show their vulnerability. 
Um, I mean, today we live in a world that it's, you know, it's, it's, it's smoke and mirrors. <laughs> man, like you have, you have the, you have the guys that, I mean, and we, we all fall, fall short. We all, I kind of feel like we all do this. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, we're not perfect. Yeah. Um, we live in a world where you have, I mean, I've never done this per se, but you, you live in a world where right now we're fighting a fight, a spiritual fight, I guess you can say. Mm-hmm. And i cool to say, oh man, yeah, I'm a Christian or, um, you know, oh, I go to church every Sunday. You know, it's cool to say, oh yeah, man, I, I, I went out, I, I partied, I, I got hammered, I, I did some things I wasn't supposed to do. And you know, being a Christian, I bet, you know, I kind of feel like you're under fire. And when I see, you know, somebody that just stands up and says, no, I'm a man of God. I'm a man of faith. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't, you know, I respect all religions. Um, but, you know, when you say you're a man of faith, you know, that to me, that shows true character mm-hmm. of how somebody is. You get what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Like, He's he's going against the grain. He's like, I'm not. <laughs> I can care less what mm-hmm. dude right there about me, you know. And that's what I feel like a, a, a lot of these guys, you know, um, have shown me from Hotline, from just, and, and just meeting Pete, random people. It feels good mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. out there like that. No, absolutely. The you know when you run into people like that, it's it's definitely a blessing to see that. You know what I mean and. You know, I think more than ever, the love of people has grown cold. People now more sprawled out and disconnected than ever. I mean, we live in a very, very fast-paced society where people are, you know, they're grinding. You know what I mean? Especially here in Southern California and the IE and stuff. You know, you got your hustle going on. I call it the California hustle and flow. You know what I mean? You don't got time for anything else. You just got to hustle, hustle, hustle. You got your side gigs going on. You got all this stuff going on, you know, and I think without really paying attention, you could kind of lose that sense of yourself where you start not becoming personable with people. You start forgetting people are actually humans and slowing down to, to connect with people. You know, we're relational as human beings. We need to have that connection. And with that, 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 high speed, low drag type personality where you're just go, 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 go and grind, grind, grind. You know what I mean? You kind of lose that, you know, and before you know it, you're this person who just kind of just walks over people. You know, you see that in major, major cities. That's why New York is one of the cities where, you know, they always used to tell me, you know what I mean? In New York, if you fall down, they'll walk right over you, oh, Yeah, you know, because <laughs> they don't have time, you know, they're on a mission. They, you know, they need to get it from A to B. You know, and I think people just need to slow down. You know? Absolutely. I agree. I agree. Now, talking about that, we need to slow down in our families as fathers. You know what I mean? Because we not only do we carry that out in society, you know what I mean? We do that at home. You know, we, we have all the patients in the world at work or whatever. You know, we get home and then all of a sudden it's like, at least for me, you know, I used to come home and I didn't have no patience at all with my family. You know, I was tired. I wanted to relax or, you know, a lot of times I was out on the road 
So when I did come home, I didn't have time for my family because I needed to get caught up on all the chores that needed to take place so I could go back on the road again. And that, that's being that father who is disconnected, right? Yep. And that father who's not being really intentional with his, with his children, you know? Yeah, I, 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 I can say I'm guilty of that, man. I, I'll my first two and a half years in the trade, I got my first call out at 1245. Mm -hmm. So I was gone, man, you know, two, three weeks at a time. And the one thing I, I, I would say, and I guess you can say it was, it was a double-edged sword because it was good and it was bad. Um, I came home and I was just that, that fun dad, you know, and I, I just wanted to, you know, us go out let's go let's disneyland uh let's go rent a house by the beach let's go do this you know mm -hmm. and it was to a point where i was kind of just spoiling them because i wasn't there mm -hmm. you know i was i feel and me and my wife talked about it I, you know i was i guess i was kind of doing more harm than good mm -hmm. i was showing my son because i was absent because i wasn't there i was showing my son that i was just this you know, fun. And all I did was, you know, money just came pouring out of my pockets. We did whatever. And that wasn't reality. And I'm guilty of uh, coming home, being tired. And now mm -hmm. that when I was working, you know, here out of Ventura, you know, I was coming home on the weekends and I was just like, dude, I'm tired. You know, I would come home every weekend. I was like, you know, I just want to hang out. Or I want to go, and I felt myself being selfish mm. towards where I didn't think of, you know, what my wife was going through, where she works, she was taking my son to school, getting to work by nine, leaving, the, leaving work by five, having to come back, pick him up by six, bringing him home, cooking, cleaning, doing everything to where on the weekends when I got there, it was just free time. I didn't have to do anything. And I became selfish where I was like, oh, I'm tired. I don't feel like doing that. Or let's just go here. You know, wanting to do things that I wanted to do and not necessarily what my family wanted to do. And my wife had a conversation with me. She was like, you know, and she, my wife doesn't hold back. She'll tell you kind of how it is. And she told me, she's like, you're, you're being selfish. And as a dad, I was just kind of like, I'm providing, kind of like you said, I'm just, <laughs> I'm the provider. What do you yeah. mean? So I took that as, a, as, as like a jab, as an attack. You know, I'm like, I'm out there working 24 sometimes. And you have the audacity to say I'm selfish, but I didn't realize what I was doing. Um, and then one day it just clicked, especially when I got sick, you know, I like, you know, I, I I'm at home now and, you know, I was, you know, I've been doing laundry. I've been doing everything that my mom, that my wife was doing to help her mm -hmm. realize, man, like, whoa, it's, it's tough. You know, you know, moms are everything. Mm -hmm. And that, I kind of feel like I needed to step up, like, and I needed to show and, you know, kind of tell my son, you know, like, this is how, you know, this is how a man is. This is how, you know, we help mom. We, we, we do this. And, you know, showing him, gosh, I mean, just, you know, that it's a two-way street when it's, uh, when you're in a marriage, mm -hmm. you know, trying to influence my son on, 
on different things, you know, and um, yeah, I mean, I kind of got lost there for a second. It was just going on, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that was kind of a big thing for me. Yeah. You know, home and seeing it and recognizing it. Mm-hmm. And part of that's being a leader, you know, what you're really showing was your shot to your son was what it is to be a man, what it is to be a leader, you know, cause leaders put themselves last. They're not first, you know, one of the uh, best leaders I possibly have seen or have had the privilege of working with was a foreman. You know, I'm not saying he was perfect by any means. This guy was a dog, you know, this guy freaking, you know, he he did all everything, you know, and he was a lineman. He was a man's man, right? Or so yeah. they say. But anyhow, I went on storm with him this one time. And I tell you what, man, he, he really shined through on that. You know, on that storm, he was the last to eat. He was the last to go to bed. He was, I mean, he was first one up. I mean, this guy put all of us, all his crews first. I remember we're like, I, I sent the, uh, the ground man, I was like, Hey man, go tell Ronnie, go relieve him. And you know, Hey, tell him to come and eat. And the ground went out there and he comes back. Cause I was just tell him. And he's like, Oh dude, he doesn't want to come in. He says he's gonna stay out there until everything is taken care of. And then he'll come in. And I was just so impressed with them. You know what I mean? To me, that was in those moments, I was a true leader, you know, putting people first and for me just that picture of him doing that you know what i mean that's something that i want to strive to do even with with you know this foundation putting people first with my family first and foremost you know what i mean putting my wife first putting my my children before me and just trying to be that leader and trying to imitate that to them so they could see what a leader is you know I agree 100%. Now, Nick, I wanted to kind of go back to this whole cancer deal that you were dealing with. Um, yeah. Talking to you earlier, you know, um, we were discussing about some of the stuff that you went through. And I remember you had mentioned something about flatlining. What was that about? All right. So, um, December of 2020, mm-hmm. uh, I was uh, so when the cancer diagnosis started, I started going through treatments. I was at stage three mm-hmm. and I started going through treatments and it started affecting my liver. So what happened was the doctor's like, look, do you drink? And you can ask my wife, we've been together, we've been married 10 years together, like 15. Mm-hmm. And she's seen me, she can count on both of her hands in those 15 years that we've been together, how many times she's seen me drunk or have drank more than a beer. And so I was, dude, no, I don't, I don't drink, especially now that with this condition, I, I stopped drinking completely. Like even at parties, <laughs> it's a Diet Coke or, or a bubbly, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he was like, cause it's the treatment started to make it look like you're an alcoholic. It's affecting your liver enzymes. It's going to send your liver into failure. So we got to stop treatment and we got to put you on a steroid. So they put me on what's called prednisone. And what the doctors failed to mention was that this steroid, for one, it actually completely dropped your immune system. Mm-hmm. So not only was I already immune compromised because my, my immune system is trying to fight cancer, it now e- erased anything that I had in the immune system. And with COVID going on, 
Um, I mean, hey, we still needed to go out and get food, get groceries. I still took, you know, proper precautions, sanitizer, mask on, all that good stuff. And I was, you know, I was going to, you know, the stores, picking stuff up. My mom was in the hospital at the time, so I was also helping out my dad at his restaurant just to kind of help him out so he can be there for my mom. And I wound up getting really sick, man. It was probably December 20th, 21st. And I go, man, I, I can't go in. Dad, I'm sorry. I can't help. And he, you know, don't worry about it. Get better. And December, uh, Christmas Eve of 2020, um, I tell my wife, I go, babe, I'm not feeling good. Like it's starting to bug, you know, really bad. And she goes, well, you know, do you need me to take you to the emergency room? I go, oh, I got it. I got it. So I go to the emergency room here in Corona and the doctor goes, oh man, you, you have pneumonia. So he writes me a, a prescription for a Z-Pack and sends me on my way. I go to the 24-hour pharmacy. I get, you know, all that I needed to get. I get the prescription. I come home and I'm walking from my car to the door and I'm like, man, I'm losing breath. I'm losing breath. So long story short, man, the next morning we wake up mm -hmm. Christmas day and ambulance had to come get me. They're like, your, 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 your pulse oximeter is reading at 70. Anything below 80 is anything below 90 is bad. So they rushed me to the hospital and my mom's in the hospital at the same time with COVID. And, um, so we're both in the hospital at the same time, but my mom was showing signs of getting better. So to not stress her out, nobody said anything worth about her son being in the hospital with her son that had cancer and also now in the hospital with COVID. I was like, mom's first priority. We can't, you know, we want her to come out of this. So they admitted me with COVID pneumonia and Dece uh, December 30th, I get the call from my brother saying that mom didn't make it. So for like three days straight, I didn't sleep. I didn't sleep at all. Um, doctors were coming in, phlebotomists were coming in, labs, all kinds of stuff. And I just couldn't sleep because I didn't know what to do. I, the moment I started crying, my oxygen level just plummeted. It would just plummet. And my wife goes, <clears throat> so anyway, fast forward now to January 3rd, the day, the night I plummeted, the night I, I flatlined. Mm -hmm. um, my cousin was actually a nurse of mine. He was one of my nurses. And I asked him, I go, hey, dude, do me a huge favor. I haven't slept in days. No, I asked them, leave me alone. They Because they were coming in every every two hours to draw blood. I go, I can't handle that right now. I need to get some rest. He goes, okay. So he came back to tell me they're not going to bother you for the next six hours. Go ahead and you know rest. Mm -hmm. All I remembered, man, was rolling over and... I open my eyes and I have four nurses right there by me. I have a, a crash cart next to me and I'm, and all I, and I'm naked. I was wearing sweats and I was wearing a, 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 a long sleeve t-shirt. And now I woke up completely naked underneath a gown and I'm like, what the heck happened? And all I hear is he's back. Mm -hmm. And I look over to my right and my cousin's standing there. I can see him through his mask. He's crying. And he's like, I was like, dude, what the hell are they talking about? 
he's back. Who's back? And he was like, dude, you flatlined. And I was like, what are you talking about? And my chest was just killing me, man. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chest compressions. They actually wound up bruising one of my, one of my chest muscles. Mm -hmm. And it was, that was hard to breathe with, but it was just one of those, you know, I, I, people ask me, what did you see? What did you see? I'm like, I I didn't, I didn't, I I don't remember. I don't. Mm -hmm. Um, like I said, the, the last thing I'd remember was rolling over to go to sleep and then opening my eyes to this. And it was, it was, it was definitely traumatizing, man. It was, it was uh, definitely, definitely an experience I, I wouldn't wish on anybody, mm-hmm. you know? And then knowing that, I mean, I came back and I made it through, I, that was pretty cool. I was like, I was grateful for that. Yeah. Grateful. I remember that night. Uh, the next day, I'm sorry, the, the, the pulmonologist came in and said, Mr. Politis, your stats are dropping. Um, we're going to have to put you on a ventilator. And I was like, no way, because I already knew um, what that meant. You know, mm-hmm. 10% of people come back from ventilators, statistically. And I was like, no, I, I'm not doing it. Used it. And they were like, okay, you know. So the, I told them if it happened again where I flatlined, do what you got to do. I go, but still breathing. If I'm still able to talk to you, you're not doing it. And I remember that night, man, I rolled over. And I had, mind you, I, I've been a believer for years. I was raised in the Orthodox Church. So I was never baptized by my own, you know, say so. Yeah. I was baptized. So I remember rolling over and just going back and forth with my wife before she's like, why don't you get baptized? Why don't you get baptized? I'm like, I was already baptized. And it was always something that was eating away at me. Like, you know, something telling me in the back of my mind, I needed to get baptized. Mm-hmm. I, it, it is so cliche of, of, of what I did. I, I rolled over and I started bargaining with God. I was like, God, if you let me survive this and see my son and my wife, I'll get baptized as soon as I can. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like this warm presence, man, where it was almost kind of like a deal. Let's see. Mm-hmm. I survived it, man. I was in the hospital for 28 days. Uh, came out of it. And the moment I could, three weeks later, I got baptized. It was it was something else, man. It was definitely traumatizing mm-hmm. because thinking to myself, like, why me? not my mom you know why did i survive not my mom you know and mm-hmm. definitely definitely a humbling experience too showing that you know I, i'm nobody special but my plan for god my the plan that god has for me hasn't been set yet mm-hmm. it, it it wasn't finished so you know, sure enough, man, the first thing I did, I mean, oxygen tank and all, I walked up there and I devoted myself and the very next week, they, 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 they baptized me. Wow. Such a powerful story, man. Thank you for sharing that. And first and foremost, brother, I just want to, you know, just give you my condolences for your mom. I mean, such a, thank you, such, such a great loss, you know, especially with a woman as great as your mom, you know, and just all the story and the, you know, all the memories you had that you shared with us on this podcast, you know, so 
my condolences truly for that. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you is when my wife passed, passed on, they know she didn't pass on, but her heart stopped. She flatlined too. Right. She told me that what she remembered is coming out of her body and looking down, right? She could see them working on her. And she said she could feel like the all the life just coming towards her center, like from her fingertips and her, her toes, all like amassing, like towards her center, her core. And it was one of the most horriblest pain she's ever felt. She said it just felt like pain. Like, like the best way she could describe it was like the life was being sucked out of her, you know? And that's her experience with her flatlining, you know? So it's, it's pretty awesome to hear another person like yourself, you know, talk about your experience with flatlining and, and going through that trauma. You know, and then having that survivor's guilt like you had where you're like, man, God, you know, why am I here? Why did you take my mom? You know, and even having that bargaining stage where you're like, you know, God, if you let me survive this, I'll do this. You know, those are all symptoms or not symptoms, but those are all part of the seven steps of trauma if you really look at it, you know what I mean? And that's, that's pretty interesting to see how you lined up with that, you know, how, how traumatic of an incident that was, is what I'm trying to say, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And, and it was traumatizing, man. It was, you know, and every day that I, that I laid in there, man, I just, I prayed, I asked, I just asked that I was able to, you know, see my son again in person, see my wife, you know, be able to hold both of them, you know, see my family, see my dad, you know, the, 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 tra the trauma that my dad went through, you know, with that whole, this whole year and him showing his character still, it, it's, it's great to me because I always thought hearing the, the term, hearing the words, uh, you have cancer was the worst thing I could have ever heard. But thinking about it, man, um, as being a dad and you being a dad, mm -hmm. let's be knock on wood to hear the the words your child has cancer mm. is ten is it's unimaginable. It's it's so much more devastating. You know, at conversations where my dad was like, Nick, I've prayed so many times, you know, God take it out of him and put it in me. Wow. You know, my asked for it like I, you know, and as a dad, me, both of us being dads, we feel like we'd probably do the same, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just to even top on that, um, my father said the same thing when we buried my younger brother uh, last year or two years ago in October of 2020. You know, he said the same thing. He's like, man, why him? Not me. You know, no father should have to bury his, his son. You know, and I, I can't even imagine that, you know, what your father felt, you know, losing his wife and then now his son, you know, is flatlining. So, man, that's that's a lot, dude. That's a lot of challenges that you went through, Nick. Um, I what is one thing that you can share with our audience that you would like to get across? You know what I mean? 
if you don't mind me asking. Man, there's, there's so much, but one main thing, man, is just love your family. You know, uh, don't ever skip a day where you don't tell your kids you love them or, you know, your wife or your, your significant other that you love them. Um, just because, I mean, you know, us being in this, this trade is dangerous. You know, we never know if we're going to be coming home that night, you know, and, and me being sick, you know, I, I kept texting my wife, you know, I, it's just a cold. I'm going to be fine. You know, when they first took me in the ambulance, uh, it, it was just one of those things. Like I didn't really get to tell her how much I loved her. I didn't get to hug my son and tell him how much I loved him before they took me. And then going through that experience, there was just so much regret. So one of my biggest things, man, where I tell my son every night, every morning, every, every chance I can, I tell him that I love him. I tell my wife, I love you. You know, I just, you know, make sure you express that. Always express it. Because at the end of the day, man, you never know when the last time it's going to be that you say that. Mm, mm, I, can, I can't agree with you more. I mean, that's such a such a powerful story, Nick, that you shared with our audience. And I, I thank you so much, brother, for coming on here and being transparent. And uh, I know this is going to reach a lot of people, brother. And uh, man, if people have questions for you, Nick, how can they get a hold of you, bro? If you don't mind and asking. However, man, I'm on Instagram. And they can shoot me a, a text message if they, if they, you know, if they would like, man, I, I, I don't care. I mean, if you can share my phone number, I, I don't mind at all, man. Um, but yeah, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook, Nick Tarios, uh, you know, or Nick Politis and they'll, they'll see, man. It's on, you know, it's on my, uh, it's on my, uh, my bio on my Instagram. Mm -hmm. Well, once again, brother, thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you for coming on here and sharing your story and, uh, you have a wonderful night, bro. Hey man, you too. And I appreciate you having me on. Thank you, man. And God bless. God bless you too.